A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find everybody in good spirits today. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you throughout the morning. 1850-333-103. John Paul answering the calls there. Text and WhatsApps 0862-103-103. And of course, if you prefer to email, you can, Patricia, at c103.ie. We have a lot to get through on the programme today, but I am interested in your thoughts and comments on the Donald Trump visit. Again, lots and lots of commentary in the paper today. He's expected to leave uh, Ireland sometime in the early afternoon. he probably have a spot of lunch. They're expecting him to play some golf today. And the good people of uh, Doonbeg are even hoping that Melania Trump might pay a visit to the local national school today. I imagine there's great excitement up in the school at the thought of the First Lady of America coming to visit. There was a bit of disappointment last night that Donald uh, Trump uh, President Trump didn't do walkabouts around Doonbeg. His two sons of course the previous night had done just that. They went and they visited all of all of the four pubs, I think, in the area and they bought drinks for everyone. So great boys that they are. They'll be well received in an Irish pub if they come in and offer to buy a drink for the house. That is for, that is for sure. But reading through the papers today, it's a kind of a divided nation when it comes to Donald Trump. For, as we discussed yesterday on the programme, for various obvious reasons, the people in Doonbeg and that general area of County Clare They very much welcome the visit of Donald Trump because they know and appreciate the amount of wealth from uh, direct and indirect employment that the Trumps are giving to the area because of the golf resorts. Of course, they are going to be very pleased to welcome him. And as a number of people said yesterday, if Doonbeg was it was in our own patch, was anywhere in West Cork, in East Cork, in North Cork, local people would be given the same kind of welcome to the man and to his family because they people appreciate the investment in the area rather than trying to dig down through what are the man's views on um, immigration and building the wall and all of that. I mean, they're just looking at what is directly happening on their uh, doorstep. So there's lots of pictures in the papers today, both coming from Doonbeg and then on the flip side of it, there was an amount of protests. There was about 2,000 people protested in Dublin City yesterday, very angry over Donald Trump coming to this country and the Trump baby blimp which had been over in England at the visit. Somebody flew over seemingly and brought it back on a plane. That was inflated. They had to get they had to get onto air traffic control 
to allow for, or the Irish Aviation Authority, should I say, to allow to fly the blimp because it is so big. And we know Donald Trump has commented before he hates this blimp. He lets on, he doesn't, but he, he has been. He doesn't like it at all. And it was here in Ireland. He didn't get to see it, though. He was nowhere near it. There was also a protest, a smaller one here in Cork. There was various other protests around the country. So people are very, very divided over the view. But Bernard is a former soldier and he's contacted us because he says the one thing that the Donald Trump visit has done is once again highlight the pay difference between Angarda Siakona and members of our Defence Forces because both the Angarda Siakona and the Defence Forces, they were all involved in protecting Donald Trump as they would be in protecting any visiting VIP. Personnel from the Army, the Naval Service and the Air, Air Corps were all and are still involved in protection duties. But they get paid under what is known as the Aid to Civil Power. It's an ATCP allowance. The Aid to Civil Power allowance, on average, it means that the soldiers and the Air Corps will come out with about €20 after tax. Now, that's not per hour. That's for a 24-hour shift. While Gardaí, who will be posted side by side with them in Shannon and in and around uh, Dune Beg and they're, they're there for the bones of a week they can expect to receive 50 times that amount they'll get between a thousand and a thousand five hundred now obviously PD4 the association will represents enlisted personnel in the defence force they say it's unacceptable that its members should be provided with such archaic rates they say the Gardaí will make money out of this and the best of luck to them but they say our members deserve far uh, more the Gardaí also seemingly are very sympathetic to the plight of the soldiers also besides the pay element there's also an issue around the conditions when they're on where on where they're on duty for example the Gardaí are all given suitable overnight accommodation now, we mentioned this earlier in the week when we were talking about the number of Gardaí who would be up and around Shannon and Dunebeg. And there isn't a bed and breakfast or a guest house or even a youth hostel where there was the bed available because of there was a, they needed to block book a lot of beds for the personnel who were on security duty. I assume that was covering everyone, but it wasn't. It was only covering the Gardaí. The Defence Force members are, have been using sleeping bags at a terminal in Shannon Air- Airport and others have been sleeping in tents around Dunebeg. Now, this all got highlighted last August when Pope Francis came because obviously the same numbers were being used to protect Pope Francis when he was here. And I don't know if it, don't think it cost 10 million though. Because I remember we were talking about the Pope's visit at the time and that was a state visit. We have to remember that this visit by, was the Pope's visit a state visit? Now I'm thinking out loud, I'm sure it was. Anyway, but this visit by Donald Trump and it's one of the arguments that people have against this visit is the fact that it wasn't an official state visit, yet the taxpayers still had to pick up this €10 million Euro, uh, security tab. Anyway, when the Pope was here, the soldiers were forced to sleep in tents at the Phoenix Park. Those on duty in Knock Village last summer claimed they were served up food which wa- wouldn't have been acceptable inside in a prison. And at the time, PD4 highlighted the issue of pay and conditions for the Pope's visit, hoping something would change but absolutely nothing changed and it's the very same conditions that they find themselves in nearly a year later when they're doing the same job but it seems crazy that this aid to civil power allowance that they would only receive about 20 euro after tax 
for a 24-hour shift, but then getting them to do all, all of the work, paying them such a pittance as an extra, but then that their conditions aren't good, you know, sleeping in tents and sleeping in hangars in Shannon Airport, simply, simply not good enough. Your thoughts welcomed on that, 1850-333-103. We're also going to hear about crisis in uh, childcare Families, it seems, are having issues sourcing spaces, particularly for the baby and the toddler rooms. There's a lack of spaces. And, you know, we've often heard in the past of other family members jumping in. Granny and granddad are great to help out with some childcare arrangements. But it isn't always possible. There mightn't always be a grandparent alive to be able to provide childcare duties or they mightn't live close by. And for some families, they have no other choice, but they have to pay to have their child looked after and they have to send their child into the creche. What if there isn't a creche available in your area? What do you do then? I'm assuming it's it's affecting some mothers going back to work after maternity leave if they can't get a, a creche in their area that will take their child. So there's a problem with the baby in the toddler room, but there also now is going to be a problem with the after-school care. Many parents who work full-time are not in a position to get home to collect their children and their, or their children are not old enough to be able to go home themselves and leave themselves in until mum or dad uh, comes home. So they go to after-school care. There's going to be a problem with after-school care because they have changed the legal limits on the staff ratio for after school and we'll discuss that in more detail on the programme today. Also hearing how young people are becoming victims of fraud. And this is to do with, you know, giving out their banking details or getting caught with fraud uh, with an ad that they see and sending money off to buy something or to book something. The fraudsters are... You think that young people know all about technology and that they're never going to get cut out on fraud because we've heard in the past where fraudsters deliberately target older people. But these are actual these are actual frauds that are aimed at young people and young people are getting cut out. So we're going to hear more about those types of fraud and also ways for us all to stay safe. We're going to discuss health care and how people access information about healthcare by going online. Good old Dr. Google. Uh, the, the pitfalls of diagnosing yourself and also taking advice from others in chat forums, like some of those parent forums. Those parent forums can be great for parents to share information with each other. But how much are sharing health advice and are other parents taking health advice for another parent instead of going to a doctor or instead of going to your pharmacist and how dangerous is that? And also the obvious one is getting information about vaccinations. There's a lot of information online when it comes to vaccinations and some will say a lot of it is misinformation and it can come to the stage where parents will be slow to vaccinate their children because of information that they have read online. We discuss all that on the programme today. We also have details of a new history trail in West Cork. It's called the Cork Rebel way. We'll find out more about that. It it shows sites of interest from the 1916 rebellion right through to the uh, Civil War. And it is Friday, so it means after half past 12 today, Mark Malone will join us and he will give us, uh, let us know what's happening with the movies. That and your calls and comments intermingled throughout the day. If you are a Catholic, you will be interested to know that the Pope Francis has has decided to change one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. After criticising the English translation, 
because he says the English translation implies that God, not Satan, leads people into temptation. The Pope approved an alteration to the line, lead us not into temptation for the countries, for the globe's 1.2 billion Catholics. And it will now read, do not let us fall into temptation, which it seems is closer to the French translation. Now, the Pope has been speaking about this for quite some time. He started talking about it over two years ago and he said it's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. The change has come after 16 years of research by biblical scholars and it corrects what they believe was an error when the Our Father was originally translated. The English version of the prayer is derived from the Greek translation. They're also, by the way, uh, the Pope has also approved a change to the to the Gloria, uh, the line from peace on earth to people of goodwill will instead read peace on earth to people beloved by God. But it's the line in the Our Father is the one that I think most people are going to take a while to get their head around because it's probably one of the most commonest prayers that we say. So it's it's the second last line. So let me go back to the third last line. And we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It will instead read. And we forgive those who trespass against us and do not let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And when I look at it and I'm, I see the Pope, I see the points that the Pope is making, but I'm thinking I learned that prayer as a very young child. And in all the years I've been saying it, I never realised that the line and lead us not into temptation does look like you're saying to God and lead us not into temptation, which is what the Pope is saying. That's the Satan's department, not God's. So he's changing it to and do not let us fall into temptation and it will be for regular mass scores they'll pick that up and they'll get the new words no problem at all but a couple of years ago there was changes to a number of the prayers said at mass and it's only when you're at a wedding or if you're at First Holy Communion Masses or Confirmation Masses where you can really see the people that are regular mass goers and those that are not because the regular mass goers know the different kneeling and standing positions but they also know all of the prayers whereas the people who don't go to Mass that regularly are still saying the version of the prayers that they would have remembered as a child and they're still able to say them word for word but of course so many of the lines have changed and it's going to be the very same now uh, with the Our Father so it's and do not let us fall into temptation instead of and lead us not into temptation Uh, I don't know when that change comes in is it as of now I wonder it's getting a lot of publicity in all of the uh, papers today 1850 John Paul takes your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Laura Gelga, RC 103. Ta Ruby Walsh er Gwina Denemarkuk is far in Erin, August to Down. Is Minica V and Shea er Clarica Sport Eggsula er on Delavish. Is a Amprev Markuk Dun Trainali Willie Mullins. Vuig Shea Bresh is Gavila Rossi Kappel. Vuig Shea Grada Markuk Crave Naherin Ga or Deg. But a on Markuk Tussig Ivela Cheltenham Ain or Deg Ider Gavila Sakahar August Gavila Sashak Deg. Gertiuk a Aram Kaila Den Vela Cheltenham Gavila Sak Deg August V er Tark Amak Asan Vela. Rugic Ruby Walsh Igunte Kildara Savlin Ne Deg Shak Done. Hussig Shay Ig Markik Kapal Ig Shak Nina Deesh. But Felidor Va 
a freshen agus vug se bern ille eren free octeg lena manskol in ne deg no kashe toshe postale julian agus kahur in in age le blur grilga it's misha jack rosta or grilskol hamas davish mala ckd as a three kirkig C103 invites you to take a seat for Mick Flannery's Evening Train. Experience a mix of vibrant dance and opera with a different wolf. And join the party for a bite and a boogie at the public kitchen. Cork Midsummer Festival has entertainment for everyone. Experience a celebration of the arts from June 13th to 23rd. See corkmidsummer.com for more. Cork Midsummer Festival with C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Pinafall TD for Cork Northwest, Andreas Moynihan, has called out the lack of local access when it comes to parents trying to find a place in baby and toddler rooms and also problems some families have accessing spaces under the early childhood care and education scheme. And Deputy Andreas Moynihan joins me on the programme. Uh, good morning to you, Andreas. Hi, Andreas. Um, you're, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, this is to do with regulations that have been introduced under the Child Care Support Act of 2018. Just to outline what's been introduced and what problems it's causing. Yeah, well, what, what, what's happening is that there's increased demand on both on childcare and on the on the services in general. And like you have the, the rollout of the, the second year, for example, uh, of the ECCC, which is a, a positive move. But the the load that's come on the on the childcare for services, then like they, they wouldn't have been ready for it, and. Uh, there's extra pressure then. So, for example, there's a, what we're hearing anecdotally is that there's a move from the baby room to the to the ECCE room uh, because there's a lower uh, staffing ratio uh, and that it's more lucrative for the... For yeah, the it's cheaper facility. for the operator to run the EEC rooms than it is the baby and toddler room because the baby and toddler room by the nature the fact of the age group of the children they need more staff in there that's right there's a one in three uh, for a baby room whereas there isn't that need in the the, with the The toddler room yeah and uh, also for example the childcare facility will be charged rates on the, the baby room but not on the ECCE room ah. so there'll be there'll be different different standards but it's also challenging for those centres to get staff um, there's we're, we're hearing that uh, there, there's 25% turnover in staff uh, despite the fact that there was an 8% increase in the workforce so there's pe- people are finding it difficult to make ends meet if, uh, when they're working in the sector and uh, they're they're not staying with it it's it's a, it's a hard job where there's very little so uh, is the pay, pay is the pay is low not, the pay is not reflective of ah. the, the 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 work and uh, the people who are working in it uh, you know it's it's hard to to make uh, a living on it and that that all has a ripple out effect so that uh, it means that there's extra burden on the childcare facility the parents are finding it harder to get a place and there's people going in on the scheme uh, where there's uh, places available but then there's there's a lack in another place. So, for example, there's a waiting list in Cork County of 869, despite the fact that there are 1,032 vacant places for the ECCE scheme. And this is more... What's happening is that the spaces and the demand aren't matched up. Uh, so that like along the edge of the city or even the commuter belts around Dublin, that there's more pressure on 
the services there and that people are not able to get it locally and they're having to travel further if they can find a childcare facility, um, a baby room or an after school. And we're seeing it locally uh, around the edge of Cork City, but it's there nationally as well. Um, yeah, around the, the commuter belt and or around the, the Leinster area as well, for example. So, uh, and, and we can't be expected to ask parents to travel to drop their child. Well, what, what, what I'm seeing, and I'm getting reports from different people, that they're travelling greater and greater distances. Ideally, what you want to be able to do is to, to be able to get a service that's local to you, uh, that's going to fit in with uh, your own paid employment and that the, the children will be within their own community. And, uh, and especially for their, the, for the children, for, especially for the children going into the to the EEC uh, scheme, because, you know, they start preschool with the children that they then go on to school with. That, that That's a big part of it. And if you're having to travel further uh, for to find a place, uh, that that's sense of community or togetherness is is not there um, and that's if you can find a place because very often they're not available you're either having to travel further or we're hearing reports of people delaying going back to paid employment uh, staying on with extra uh, you know t- t- taking more time off their paid employment for to while they're waiting for to find a place um, so like th- there's a number of different issues in it and an important thing as well, Patricia, because very often the the focus of childcare seems to be around the um, around the, the the creches and Montessori and so on. Childminders and parents are a huge role in it as well, and they, there needs to be support there as well. So, for example, we would have been working with um, with various parties in the opposition advancing um, the unpaid leave bill, uh, which was held back there for so long. Um, and now it looks like it's going to it's going to start moving so that there will be an extra eight weeks. That's an opposition bill that would be advancing for later in the year for to, to give extra eight weeks of unpaid leave to, to parents. The, the government brought forward a newer proposal in this spring on paid leave, an extra two weeks of maternity and two weeks of paternity. Um, and they're talking about having that later in the autumn. But also, if you fall bill that we've been advancing, and it's been held back at the minute at second stage, and that's to allow parents to share the leave, any of the paid leave, so that it's it goes to whatever suits best in their family. Um, if depending on you know what what, what their needs are, that they mm. can share the leave between. Yeah, because no, no two families are the same. But but just go back to the. To to the creches and the after-school care. There, we're going to have a further problem in August, aren't we, with the after-school care because the ratio has been reduced right. um, in 1 to 12. That's going to cause problems. That's right. And it's difficult enough to get staff as it is. Um, and, you know, that that extra pressure is going to be there later in the year. And the concern is that that would pass on a cost then to... Uh, to parents and it would also uh, mean that there may be less places available that services mightn't be able to to, to meet the, the need and to, that they're already under pressure as it is. And we know that, for example, uh, from the staff that uh, that there's one in, one in four that are, that are uh, the turnover. Uh, we're seeing figures of where many of the um, 
the, the childcare facilities already have vacancies advertised. Uh, they're not able to fill the positions that they, that they have at present. Um, so that that pressure is going to be added on later in the year. And then when Catherine, when it was put to Minister Sapone, because obviously you and other opposition TDs are hearing from families who are saying we can't get a space. And when that was put to her, she said that if any parent finds it difficult securing a school age childcare place for September, they should contact their local city county childcare committee who is available to support parents to locate childcare within their locality. Yeah, look, um, what really needs to happen is that the, the minister needs to go back and talk to the sector, uh, to talk to the to the childcare facilities, to talk to like they, they were conducting a survey, and only uh, was it um, uh, the number of people who responded on costs were were very low. I think it was somewhere only about um, one tenth, is it, of the of the the groups. That, that were asked about their costs, they didn't respond. So the minister was effectively making decisions in the dark. So really what she needs to do is go back and talk to the sector, see what is the best way of getting these regulations, uh, you know, something practical and workable, because as it's going at the minute, we're facing in towards a situation where a difficult one is going to get so much more work. Okay, and we, and we were hoping to have early childhood Ireland on who represent the sector, uh, but they say they're actually working on their own response at the moment and, and when they're available, uh, they they uh, we will have them on the programme. Um, OK, before I let you go, Andreas, just on, on a different uh, topic, because this came up on the programme a couple of weeks ago with somebody wondering, what was happening with the Briary Gap in McCroom. We're now over three years since, I, I couldn't believe when I, when, I did some, when, when I looked into it yesterday evening, it's over three years since the fire that closed the Briary Gap in uh, McCroom. A- any signs of a date when it's going to reopen? Yeah, it's hard to imagine three years there yeah. just recently that the, the fire at the end of May and I raised it repeatedly with the Minister to see, and this is Minister Madigan, to see what is the situation with funding because uh, there's, a, there's over a million euro of a shortfall there uh, based on what needs to be done. And what we're told is that, um, we're being told by different opposition people or by government people, yeah, no problem, but, you know, the uh, Rural Regeneration Scheme has twice now overlooked McCroom and when I raise it in the doll with the Minister about Arts Capital Schemes to see what was coming down the tracks, she said she would have a new scheme but that there would only be about two to three hundred thousand euro max grants in it. So the scale of the new schemes won't match the need for McCroom. So there is a problem there and it needs to be it needs to be addressed because somebody you know, that scale of funding, you're really looking at government funding for to be able to put together a million, million and a half. Um, so they really need to, to to deliver and say, look, where is this money going to come from? Cork County Council have already put in place funding. Uh, the insurance has put in place funding. And really, for to make up that gap now, we need the, the minister and government for to be able to come out and say, look, it's not going to be rural, rural regeneration. It's not going to be arts funding. Where is the money going to come from for to make up the gap, mm. the difference there, and to ensure that we can get it opened again because it needs to be. Well, it's it, not fair on the people of McCroom. It really isn't. No, it's, it it's, really it's, isn't. It's a massive loss to McCroom. Yeah, and the idea that it's there three years now uh, and sitting vacant. Um, and what's been happening in the meantime is that they've been different groups have been working away out of different venues. That's very difficult to sustain mm. over such a long 
long time. And, and what annoys me, Andreas, if this was a theatre that went on fire in Dublin, they wouldn't have been waiting three years to have it renovated and reopened. It would be done in well a year. imagine it would have been well thought right. by now. Okay, so we they need, need to put their money where their yeah, mouth is absolutely, now. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, keep us posted on that, Andreas. And in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil. Dáil Deputy for Cork Northwest, Andreas Moynihan, 1850 333 103. John Paul, taking your calls if you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862 103 103. Just on the childcare issue, uh, Mary in Rathcool says, uh, My daughter is trying to get support care for her boys. Currently, she's paying 15 euros a day for the hours in between her finishing work and going to collect the boys. If she had a wider gap in the work hours, she would have to pay more. Should she not have to, should she not have to pay? I would think, especially when her children have special needs uh, requirements. So that was a question for Andrea. Sorry, I only saw the question uh, now. So Mary's point is that if you're a parent of special needs children, should there be some kind of facility in place uh, whereby you get subsidised childcare uh, to cover the cost and Annie in Coachford said it's scary to hear what young people are spending on childcare not everyone has somebody nearby they can collect the children from school or preschool and drop them home and the cost can be as high as 50 to 70 euro for a few hours a week and you put a child in full time creche and ask parents the cost I I know of parents who say they are paying as much on their childcare fees as they do on their mortgage. It's like having a second mortgage. 1850-333-103, lines open. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. According to a survey commissioned by the Irish Banking and Payments Federation, Fraud Smart, half of all young people say they have been the target of attempted fraud and it happens on a monthly basis. To find out more, I'm joined by Neve Davenport of Fraud Smart. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome. While many say that there has been attempted fraud, how many have actually been caught out by these fraudsters? About 20% of those who were targeted were actually caught out by um, by the fraudsters and they lost on average about €228, Euro, which is quite significant. That's a high enough um, figure, isn't it, for young people who you think would be very savvy and very with it and wouldn't be getting caught out? Yeah, I think that's what was so surprising um, and I think people are shocked by, they think that young people are quite savvy, they you know they know technology quite well, but they don't necessarily know how to spot a scam and that's what we're trying to change the behaviour and, and make them aware of. What type of fraud are we talking about? So the frauds are always kind of email frauds, um, maybe calls to their mobile phone, text messages, things like that, and also then card safety, so when they're out and about using their card. Um, you know, they are quite tech savvy, but they it kind of comes back to some basic um, tips and advice and things like, for example, with your card, you should never let it out of sight in a bar or in a restaurant. Little things like that can make a huge difference. And were the, were the young people quick to realise that they'd been caught out? No, this actually was, I think, one of the most surprising for me anyway. Um, about 30% realised that their money was missing within 24 hours. Um, and again, another another cohort took about a week. But 20% of them actually took a year to realise oh. that the money was gone from their account. Oh. So I don't know how. <laughs> I think Whoa. if I lost 228 euro, I'd notice this in a second. But um, So that was quite surprising. And then they don't report it as well. So that's something we need to change. That, you know, they need to realise that actually they should report it to their bank. And depending on the type of fraud, maybe also report it to the Gardaí and let people know and need talk about it, let people know what's happening and, and, you know, we need to talk about these things. And are they embarrassed? Is that why they don't report? 
I think that's a lot of the case. They're either embarrassed or they just feel the money is gone at this stage. Um, so what's the point? So there's two elements. And it's not something to be embarrassed about. You know, scams happen to everybody of all ages. Um, we're obviously focusing on the youth here today. And I think what we need to realise as well is that, you know, fraudsters are so sophisticated these days. It's not an email that's badly written anymore. It's it's very well written email, for example. It's very convincing. It might even be from a real email address because they've hacked into whoever is actually sending the email account. They will use information that's maybe available on social media. So they have your name, they have maybe some interest or likes. So it's very convincing email that they're sending. And, you know, that's why that's why people are falling for them. And we live the start of the summer holidays for a lot of young people and, and many of them will be looking for uh, summer work. You're giving advice on the need to be careful when answering classified ads. What's the dangers around that? So we've seen over the last or over the last year, but particularly over the last couple of months, um, there's ads on social media. So a lot of young people are being recruited through Snapchat, um, Facebook, things like that. Not all of these ads are genuine. Um, sometimes there's fraudsters at the back of it, so either they're look, looking for your personal information, and once they get that, like they employ you technically, and you hand over your bank details or maybe card details, different things like that, and they're using them then themselves. Or the other risk there is that actually that they are trying to use you as what's known as a money mule, so they're laundering money through your account, and that's their way of getting their money through through the banking system. So be really careful. Be, you know, cash for jobs, while it sounds like a great quick win to get mm. some money for the summer, really do your research. Make sure that the company exists. Just because they have a website doesn't necessarily mean they exist either. If there's a phone number, pick up the phone, call them, and really do your homework before you sign up to anything. If it's the offer is too good to be true, it probably is. That's it. You know, it, it's old, the old saying, but it is true. Anything that seems too good to be true probably isn't. Yeah, and then we've got, we'll be coming into the season where people, parents and young students will be frantic to get apartments and accommodation for university. There's been some scams around apartments, hasn't there, in the last number of years? Yeah, and they're probably already looking at this stage, even though the Leaving Cert has just started, you know, people will be on, on the lookout. Really, again, do your homework. Don't hand over cash unless you've seen um, the property. If you get the keys, make sure the keys fit the lock before anybody walks away. What we've seen is maybe um, fraudsters using kind of short-term rental sites. They take properties from there, rent out the properties themselves and show them as a viewing property. So, you know, check those websites, make sure the property isn't on those sites. Try use um, companies that, you know, rental companies, that, like legitimate rental companies and mm. estate agents, things like that. It's hard. It's, it's a lot of pressure to try get them. There's a lot more student accommodation than there used to be, but it's, it's getting the quality. And But just don't hand over any cash. Keep record of all your communication with whoever it is that's letting it to you. And if, if any problems, try pay by check. That's a bit safer because you've got a bit of time if something materialises that, you know, takes five days for a check to clear. So you've got a little bit of time there if something goes wrong as well. And Neve, whenever we highlight or do a piece on scams on the programme and, and listeners are great to ring up if they've spotted a scam or just mm. to alert other people, we inevitably will get calls in from people saying, how are these fraudsters getting away with it? I mean, if you transfer money, why can't that money be tracked down? It depends. The, the problem is the fraudsters 
um, are sitting there waiting for the funds to come in. So if you've transferred money, um, you've authorised a payment and it's gone into um, a bank account, the frauds are sitting there waiting. They'll take that money out of the bank account straight away. So it might take you a while to realise that the scam has taken place, but by the time you report it, the money is already taken out of, the, out of that bank account. So there's nothing to return. In saying that, if it's something that's with your Visa card, so most debit cards are Visa card or MasterCard, if it's a transaction that you've made through um, either of those, you, you should get your money back in, in most of those cases. Mm. Yeah, and that's where, you, that's where you go back to something you said earlier. Report. You need to report. Yeah. Even if it's only a small sum of money or as you say you're embarrassed about because you got cut, cut out, you still need to report it to the bank. Would you also report to the Gardaí? I would report to the Gardaí if it's a money transfer. If you've done something like that, definitely report it to the Gardaí. The Gardaí can only kind of crack down on it and, you know, make arrests if they get reports. And yours might seem like something really small, but it could fit into a bigger investigation and help the Gardaí as well. So do report them to the Gardaí. They will, you know, they will take it seriously. It's so important that we report it. We need to get better, you know, Irish people are very good at talking and, and telling each other about things, but we're not so good when it comes to fraud because we do have that embarrassment. But it is common. It's happening every single day. So we need to get better at that. And for most people, you don't have to wait for a bank statement to come in to check to see you know, what activities on your, on your account. Most people now have banking online. Do yeah. you, you need to, how often would you check online to make sure everything's above board? It depends on your spending, but I, I would check every couple of days if you can. I mean, it's, okay. it's at the touch of a button. It's on your phone in online banking um, or on, on your PC, whichever you prefer to use. It's so easy to check now and it, it's in real time pretty much. So, you know, go in, check it. And especially for young people, they don't seem to check their bank accounts. So check it on every couple of days and not just that the transactions are your transactions, but also make sure that you never got over, you can get overcharged somewhere. That there's no dispute about that. That's something else that, you know, people don't, they just kind of go, oh, well, you know, and forget about. It. You have to report these things. It's the only way to clamp down on them. Okay. All right. Well done. Good advice. Can people find out more online? We do. We have a website, fraudsmart.ie, okay. and also we have, um, you can sign up to alerts on fraudsmart.ie as well. And if there's a current scam that's going around, um, like a couple of months ago, the broadband scam, we'll let you know so that you can be on the lookout for it. Oh, that's great. That's great. really good. You can find out more on fraudsmart.ie. Okay. And Neve, thank you for that. And thanks for thank joining so us much. on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. That is Neve Davenport of the Irish Banking and Payments Federation, Fraud Smart. Dot ie. Keep a look out uh, for that. Um, you check out more online, but keep a look out for any of those fraudsters that are doing the runs of the moment. It's your hard-earned cash. You want to hang on to it. You don't want it in the hands of criminals. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in and, and this text just annoyed me when I read it and my sympathies going out to the sender of this text that says, uh, Hi Patricia, I'm a disabled person and I'm currently going for chemo. So a lot going on in this person's life at the moment. Last Tuesday morning, I observed an English registered BMW car parked in the disabled space closest to the entrance to Dano Supervalue in Mallow. He didn't have a disabled badge displayed. When the woman came out of Dano's, the travelling companion, she didn't seem to be disabled either. Nonetheless, they both continued to sit in the English registered BMW car, drinking their coffee. 
while still parked in the disabled parking space. Now, I didn't approach them. I'd be a little bit afraid to do that. They were still there, by the way, when I left. There are a limited number of disability spaces in that area. People really need to stop abusing them. Absolutely. And it's just that ongoing saga. Now, do I assume the fact that you're emphasising it was an English registered BMW car, that it was visitors? tourists uh, to the area. It's not a case that they couldn't have known their disabled spaces. They are clearly marked, clearly identified. And obviously they pulled in and Mama Bear decides to go in to get the coffee and Papa Bear sits in the car. And then to think that she comes back out with the coffee and then they proceed to have a little bit of she will have the bands here and we'll drink our coffee while sitting still in the disabled space Whatever about, and even this, I, I could just about tolerate this, if it was a very wet day and he pulled up into the disabled bay that was free, the one closest to the door, she hops out of the car and then he proceeds to drive around the car park. It's a large car park for those that don't know it. Find a parking space. And if she's too much of a prima donna that she doesn't want to have to walk too far, he could keep a lookout at the door and then drive up when he sees her coming. Why, why you would leave the car in the disabled space while one goes in to get the coffee and then to proceed to stay in the space. That's just adding insult uh, to injury. And I know where you're coming from to to the person who said she was afraid uh, to approach them. We'd all love to think that we will be brave enough to go over and knock on the window and say, Oi, you're in a disabled space. You don't have a badge. You know, I have a disability. What's that sticker that you can put on a car saying you took my parking space, you want my disability as well? You'd love to have the nerve to be able to say that. Now, some people are very good at it. Some people are really, really good at being able in a very calm way. You don't have to be aggressive, rude, very calm way. You know, call the person out. But you've got to be very brave. It's a very brave person that will do it. So I absolutely have sympathy with you and great understanding as to why, much as you would love to have gone over and challenged them, but I can uh, understand. So I'm glad to give it a mention. Um, I don't know who these people are. As I say, I don't know if they were just visitors to the area and they're long since gone. But to anybody else, please stop abusing the disabled parking spaces. There's not enough of them around the country as there is as as is at the moment and the few that are there are needed by people like our listener is has a disability so has our disabled badge but it's also going through chemo so going through a lot at the moment can we wish you good health into the future and I hope everything works out for you with your uh, treatment and thank you for taking the time to text us to 0862 103 103 the Pope a couple of people in on the Pope um, this is the Pope for those that missed the opening of the programme, the Pope has decided to change one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer. The Our Father is to change. Second last line is to change. Uh, and we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The line and lead us not into temptation is to be substituted with and uh, and do not let us fall into temptation. So, OK, let's read it the new way. Um, And we forgive those who trespass against us and do not let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from uh, evil. And the change comes after 16 years of research by biblical scholars. And they're putting it down to it was lost in translation. The English version of the Our Father was derived from the Greek translation. So what they're now doing now, instead of the Greek translation, they should have gone with the French translation because that would be closer to 
and do not let us fall into temptation. Texter says, I'm so mad at the Pope. It'll be more in his line to cop on and make proper changes in the church instead of changing prayers. Soon we'll have no priests and all because he won't ordain married men or allow women to become priests. If the Pope and the clergy took their noses out of books and lived in the real world, they'd be doing a lot better. So I take it noses in the book you object to 16 years of research by biblical scholars to come up with a change in this uh, line. And someone else was also on WhatsApp. Um, Mary says, hi Patricia, with regard to the changes in the Lord's Prayer, I'm still trying to get used to the last changes in the prayers. Also says Mary, in some parishes, they kneel where we stand and vice versa. It's comical sometimes when you're at a wedding. Everybody is doing different things. Yeah, and there's a lot of people doing different things because they really don't know what's going on. People that are not in the church that often and they're bobbing up and down and they're watching everybody else. But yeah, you will get that. You will get different variations of where people kneel and sit. I was recently at Mass in in a parish, a rural, very rural parish outside of Clonmel, and they seem to sit a lot more. And maybe it's because... It's a small rural parish and the congregation are quite elderly and I don't know whether the priest has adapted it to that but I couldn't get over how much more they sat than we say do uh, here in uh, Cork. Thank you for your text 0862 103 103. I also just want to give a mention seeing as this week we've been talking about the Leaving Cert and Junior Certificate exams and I was shocked last night when I started reading online what was unfolding because of a piece that appeared on the Junior Cert English paper and the Gardaí have now been involved in this and they've been notified of death and rape threats sent to a young journalist. She's a comedian and an illustrator by the name of Aoife Dorley and she has has written or she had written an article for the Irish Times and one of her, I'm, I'm assuming she's written more than one article. She's written articles for the Irish Times. But one of them appeared on Wednesday's Junior Cert English paper. And she said that following the exam, some of the teenagers who sat the Junior Cert English paper weren't happy with what her article was about. Uh, And the article, by the way, was about inconsiderate bus drivers. And because of that, dozens of teenagers started sending her threats. She said the overwhelming majority of the abuse has come from young boys. It included naked pictures of underage teenagers. Yeah, some of them sent her pictures of their private parts. That's very amusing of you, is it not? And very brave. Keyboard warriors, here we go. Anyway, Aoife Dooley said she was warned that she would have bricks thrown through her window. She said by someone else warned she'd have her legs cut off. And another message, and this was one of the most nasty ones I saw online, said she would be so badly beaten that she wouldn't be autistic anymore because Aoife Dooley happens to be um, uh, suffer from uh, autism. She said she reported the abuse to the Gardaí for several reasons. Uh, firstly, she did it for child protection because obviously there was naked photographs now appearing on her phone and on her Twitter and Instagram feed. But she also um said, you know, they're children at the end of the day so she didn't identify the children in question but she did report it to the Gardaí. She said she was initially happy when she realised last Wednesday that her article had appeared on the exam paper because that's quite a 
kind of think you've done well when you. Because I remember a few years ago talking to young Joanna Reardon from Mill Street, and she had, and I think appeared on the Leaving Cert paper. She was chuffed with herself. You know, it's, you know, if you were a journalist and you, you you've kind of reached, you think that's a nice little high to reach that you the piece you have written is being used to examine other young people. I think it was great. And, and Aoife Dooley felt the same way at the start. She said, I thought it was cool because um, she said they normally only feature people who are very well known. And she said, names started to crop up online. She said they were funny and lighthearted and she didn't have any problem with that. But then she said, all of a sudden, she started getting really nasty messages. With the, the ones I saw now were on her Twitter feed. But she also got them on Instagram and she got them to her YouTube accounts. She said it got to the stage she had to shut down the Instagram page and she said she now is seriously thinking that she may have to close down her other accounts. Now the original text of the article referred to the poxes you shared the bus with in rush hour traffic. And, you know, she spoke, it was a very well written piece. She spoke about the loud talkers on the bus. And then she referenced people who sit beside you on a bus at half seven in the morning and they decide to open up a, a packet of pickled onion flavoured meanies crisps. And if you've ever opened a packet of those Meanies crisps, they absolutely stink to high heaven. And she, it was a nice, jokey, light-hearted piece about you know, if you're sitting on a bus and it's that hour of the morning and someone opens up a packet of these crisps, you're going, oh my God. But, you know, as I say, thought it was a humorous piece. Couldn't, couldn't understand why anyone was taking offence. But obviously some of the young people felt that she was having a go at them as young people. So they decided to attack. And by the way, in the English exam, the word poxes was replaced with the word idiots. The rest of the text was the same, but they used idiots. So they said, so what the young people read was the idiots you share the bus with in uh, rush hour traffic. So some of the young people felt she was referring to them. And junior certificate students are what? About 15. Now she thinks that the word substitution may have caused some readers to misinterpret the light-hearted tone, but I really don't. I don't think changing the word pox to idiots uh, is in any way changes the light-hearted tone uh, of it. Now, the State Examination Commission... Oh, oh, OK, one of the other things she complained about was that she hadn't been asked whether her piece could be used. But the State Examination Commission have explained they do not consult with authors before publishing their work in the state uh, exam, and they can't because there will be the fear that some students would be alert to to the fact that a particular piece is going to appear in the paper so they can't do that. And by the way, Irish case people are saying what about copyright? Irish copyright law also allows an author's material to be used for educational purposes. Now the Commission did say that the treatment of Aoife Dorley uh, as described um, and what's happened on social media, they say, was completely unacceptable um, by any standards. Now, I just hope that the Gardaí really do something here because obviously she's passed on the information from her Twitter feed, from her Instagram account that's now closed down and also from a YouTube account. So it'd be pretty easy for the Gardaí to track down these young, and they're young guys, they're young boys uh, in in the main. And I, I do think, you know, I really do think they should be taken to task for it because I felt so sorry for her when I followed her Twitter feed last night and she was, she was quite clearly upset with some, of the, you know, by what had happened. And I think the fact that she's on the autism spectrum, I think just added 
to uh, it just magnified everything for her and made this situation uh, even worse but nobody nobody has the right to threaten somebody for writing an article that then subsequently appears on an exam paper and some of the threats were quite vile and then to be receiving photographs of young boys pulling their trousers down and sending a photograph of their private parts. Shame on them. And I do think the kids, the, the parents of the children, the guardies should be having a, a knock on the door and having a chat with them as well. 1850 John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced snagger. Uh, slash handyman is wanted for work in Kinsale. You need to supply your own tools and have your own transport. Summer work is available for a tractor driver. It's on a tillage farm and it's in the Kinsale area. A lorry driver is wanted for full-time work. The work is nationwide, a minimum sea licence required. And a kitchen assistant is required to work on a casual basis in a healthcare facility. That's in Dungorny in Middleton. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Aidan in Clonakilty picking up on the piece I mentioned about parking in disabled bays. Aidan says, I've no problem going up and saying to somebody if they're parked in a disabled space illegally. Aidan says, no problem going up and telling them, would you ever move? Uh, Aidan says, I think the registration plates should have been given to the Gardaí and these people should be prosecuted for that. Well, I think the point the listener was making, she felt the fact that she emphasised it was an English Reg BMW car. She reckoned there were tourists or people visiting the area. So I don't know what the Gardaí could do if it was an English Reg uh, car. But well done. You're very brave to be able to go up and tell somebody, sling your hook, you're parked in a disabled space uh, illegally. 1850 Now, some people will admit that they self-diagnose illnesses by using Dr. Google. According to a study by drunk drug company MSD who've got a plant in Brinney, six out of ten parents say they use online parenting forums for their healthcare information. To discuss the dangers of using that type of information, I'm joined by Cork-based GP Dr Nick Flynn. Uh, good morning to you Nick. Good morning. Are uh, you uh, welcome to the programme. Does this come with no surprise to you to hear that so many parents are sourcing their health information online? No surprise uh, whatsoever, Patricia. We would regularly have patients when they come into this, uh, the surgery to see us. Uh, they would have already done their research online, and they may be very worried, or they may be uh, they may have their own preconceived ideas of what they've met online. Um, I'd always be very cautious, and about people researching their their symptoms online because invariably they'll uh, click on a link that tells them there's something very serious wrong, even with a very benign symptom. You know, whether it's cough or whether it's abdominal pain. Obviously, most people with cough and abdominal pain don't have significant um, diagnosis behind them, thankfully. But if you, if you were to Google them, you very quickly would come up with some very nasty uh, illnesses and conditions. So I use them with a pinch of salt. Um, but it's not to say that, that the internet can't be helpful. So, I mean, the, I mean it really has been the information age and it has been embraced by doctors as well as patients. And as long as patients are I suppose, cautious of what sources they're using. So is it a reputable website? I think in that regard, probably, um, like, parent forums are probably not the most reputable. You get anecdotal stories. um, Old wives' tales. Old wives' tales. 
invariably the information won't be written by an expert, so it won't be a, a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist or a physiotherapist, somebody who has a, a training and qualification uh, in diagnosing and managing illness. Um, so I'm uh, very, very, very careful for that regard. But there are good websites out there. The HSE has a very good one, undertheweather.ie, mm, yeah. um, evidence-based, very practical. Um, uh, one of the GP, Dr. Neil O'Connor, is um, one of the um, doctors very much involved with that and really and truly that gives great information and, and it's not alarming and you can trust the information that's on that website. But there's another one, a UK-based one, called patient.info, patient.info, and that really has a, a broader range of um, medical conditions and if people are looking for information, you get factual uh, information there that isn't going to scare you and that also that you can trust. Um, I suppose if you are looking at information online, there will be other red flags that, that, that I ask people to, to be aware of. Um, obviously, if, if there's anybody claiming that they can uh, have a miracle cure or they can fix a problem that they have, that, that, that traditionally doctors have tried to have trouble fixing, so these quick fixes and miracle cures, I would be very very, very careful. Very, very careful. And, and, and you would hear of somebody getting a diagnosis and being told by a doctor or a consultant, don't Google this condition because some of the information might frighten people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's important. Like, I mean, even within a confirmed diagnosis, if you take something like rheumatoid arthritis, maybe, uh, if the, the, the condition itself has got such a variable course from mild symptoms and mild uh, uh, those joint pains to very severe and quite uh, debilitating symptoms. And if you were to leave the doctor's office, the first thing you do is, is to uh, Google it and you come across the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. Probably isn't the best idea. Yeah. Mental health as well as physical health. And, and obviously your doctor should be your first port, port of uh, call. But failing that, a visit to a pharmacy can often solve yeah. the problem. I, I, I would say that, that, that uh, your community GP and your community pharmacist would be your first port of call for, for most most illnesses. Um, pharmacists in particular, if you have queries around your medication or maybe over-the-counter medication, is very, very helpful. Um, and for diagnosis, then, I mean, I suppose that GP would be, would be normally the first, the first protocol, but certainly community pharmacy is, is a great resource uh, for, for patients to use if, if they're worried. Um, but the GP as well, I mean, of course, if you've got symptoms that aren't explained and you're Googling them and you're not um, sure what's going on, of course, you should contact your GP, make an appointment and have a full history and exam examination and get a proper diagnosis, yeah. informed diagnosis. One that always gets to me, uh, Nick, where, with sources um, online, are, they can be very misleading when it comes to vaccinations. We've had, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you've come across um, some patients who refuse to vaccinate their children based on what is misinformation online. No, absolutely. I think there's a high profile case in the immediate moment where there's a child in ICU in Galway, I think, Galway University Hospital, uh, from a vaccine-preventable illness. Uh, and I think the parents in that, in that case have been very much at pains to, to point out to their regret that they didn't have the vaccine uh, uh, for their child and that they really were, the, I suppose, victims or they, they, they had believed the misinformation that they had read in relation to vaccines. I mean, vaccines are one of the, I suppose, in modern medicine, one of the success stories 
Cork was reasonably busy practice. I very rarely see conditions like measles, you know. Um, so, like, those vaccines, they are safe and they are effective. We've had some misinformation, or as Donald Trump might call it, we've had some fake news mm. in relation to vaccines over the years. But absolutely, vaccines are a safe, evidence-based uh, method of protecting ourselves and our children and, and the vulnerable people in society, people who have cancer, the elderly, from illness. Is there a chickenpox vaccination? Yeah, so there, there, so there is a chickenpox vaccination, and there's actually there, there, there's been a recent study looking at the, I suppose, the effects of, of chickenpox on on both families and children from, uh, I suppose, more a social point of view. I mean, we we know that chickenpox from uh, children get it; they can be quite sick with the, the pop marks. And yeah, they can have those for life. Yeah, I think it's like absolutely you can have, have have them for life, and it can scare. And in rare cases, chickenpox can cause serious conditions like pneumonia and encephalitis or inflammation of the brain, but that would be very rare indeed. But an interesting part of the, the, that recent study was that it showed that the parents aren't aware that when their you know, children get sick with chickenpox, that they end up taking between four and five days off work themselves. Um, I think they, they, they did a cost analysis of that and it looked at for the average family um, an episode of chicken box for a child can cost up to a thousand euros. So I suppose to raise awareness really that there is uh, a safe and effective vaccine um, and that will prevent children from developing mm. Um Annette says by uh, text, uh, my sister lives in Australia with her two young children. In order to get her children into creche and into school, they must be vaccinated. Would Dr. Flynn think we should have something like that here in this country? Mandatory yeah, vaccination? Certainly something that, that that should be explored. Um, the Minister for Health has come out strongly uh, before the, the election. They're saying that he, that he would certainly consider that. Personally, I'd be in favour of it. Um, I know he's a little bit nanny state and perhaps there are other um, considerations, but I think that it's absolutely, I mean, everything we can do to increase the coverage of vaccinations and decrease circulating illness in the community. I mean, we have a hospital system that is absolutely at capacity, you know, 600 patients nearly every day, languishing on trolleys in the next emergency departments. And to say that we're going to have some uh, children and some patients joining those queues in the emergency department with vaccine-preventable illness, I think is shame on us, really. Um, And the other thing I'd say is that we've got um, children who aren't vaccinated and they develop measles and they're admitted to hospital. When they're in hospital, they meet the sickest children. And they meet children with cancer, they meet children with autoimmune conditions, children whose immune systems are not working correctly. And it's absolutely unfair for those children and their families that they are exposed to measles from another child whose parents have chosen not to get vaccinated. That's a great point. Okay, we'll leave it there, Nick. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Cork-based uh, GP, Dr. Nick Flynn. Please vaccinate your children. 1850 Here's an interesting dilemma that a listener has contacted us about that I haven't come across before. We certainly will see if somebody has the answer to it and we'll, failing that, we'll look into it. Can I run something by you, please, says a texture. I got a parking ticket from the Traffic Corps. It was for Friday evening 
13th of the 5th oh god Friday the 13th at 19.50 now I was parked in an overflow taxi rank okay I was wrong says the texture and I have every intention of paying it and I won't be parking there again but lots park there anyway the following Thursday I got another fine thinking it was a reminder but it turns out it was for the same night only four minutes after the original parking ticket. This one was issued at 19.54. So four minutes later. Am I expected to pay both? I have never come across that before because I assume when the second ticket was issued, was was there a parking ticket up on, on your car or maybe there wasn't anyway let's see has any has that happened to anybody else where the person gets is wrongly parked and puts the hand up and says yeah I shouldn't have been there parked in an overflow taxi rank shouldn't have been there I don't know where by the way this happened but um, gets comes back to the car or else in the post discovered must have been in the post discovered picked up a parking ticket and then four minutes later another parking ticket is uh, issued do you have to pay both or do you just pay one my gosh would say one, but you obviously have a second one outstanding that needs to be sorted out. So how do you get it sorted out? So has that ever happened to anybody before where you get two parking fines for the same offence? You know, it wasn't that the car had been moved and then was, was brought back. There's only four minutes apart. If anybody can advise, I'm feeling that we'll get on to the Gardaí and find out, do you have to pay both? It would be very unfair if you had to pay both. But uh, failing that, how do you get one of them squashed? Because that's what you're going to need to do. 1850 If anybody has advice there, text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And John from Mallow, this is on parking in disabled spaces, says every time. And can I just say it was parked in an overflow taxi rank. That person wasn't parked in a disabled bay. Uh, I know it's still illegal parking, wrong parking. But anyway, uh, John says every time I go to uh, Dano's Super Value in Mallow, the disabled parking space has been used by people without a disability card. This isn't a one-off occasion. Someone needs to keep a check on this. It's happening all the time. And that's from John in Mallow. A new history trail called the Cork Rebel Way, which highlights locations of immense historical significance in West Cork from the 1916 rebellion through to the Civil War has just been launched. Joining me with details is Tim Crowley and Tim runs the Michael Collins Centre just outside of uh, Clonakilty. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you are welcome. Now, where does the trail run from and what sites are included? Well, I suppose we're, we're covering the area from uh, the Wild Atlantic Way along the south coast of West Cork, uh, north as that is the um, cork McCroom Road in 22. And then we're going from Kinsale to the east over as that is the, the Bear Peninsula. And in that area, we've just some incredible uh, sites uh, connected with the War of Independence and the Civil War, and as you said, 1916. And I suppose most people are familiar with Bear on the Blaw and Kilmichael, Crassbarry, but then there's, there's dozens of other amazing sites as well. And I suppose what we're hoping to do with, this, with the Cork Rebel Way is that um, we're kind of setting up what we call flagship uh, incidents. So if visitors will do so many sites in the Cork Rebel Way area, well, then there might be one site where there's an ambush. Uh, there might be another site where there was an attack on a, on a police barracks. Um, we say Christian Aladdin has been in Kilbritton. There was, I realised, digging a trench one night and they were surprised by British forces and there was a number of them killed. 
So by going around to all the different sites on the Cork Rebel Way, well, then they will get a full insight as to what the War of Independence and Civil War and so on was all about. Terrific idea. Who was involved in putting it together, Tim? Well, we had a meeting there, I suppose, about a month ago, and there was people from all over the the Cork Rebel Way area, throughout West and Mid-Cork, people from historical societies, from different museums, hoteliers, different people from the tourism industry. So... Um, our plan initially now is to bring out a free magazine there around the 1st of July and there are people contributing historical articles uh, for that and uh, within the articles then there'd be GPS coordinates and um, maps and photographs just an initial simple way maybe of of guiding, encouraging people to visit some of the sites that we're promoting. Because do you find with people that visit your centre are they asking you you know, how do I get to such and such a place or are you giving them information of perhaps an ambush site that they wouldn't have been aware of? We are the whole time, yeah, explaining. When we, obviously, the, the places like um, Bayern Leblana would be very popular and Kilmichael yeah. and so on. But um, it, really, when you look there, just over 10 years ago there, we had a major film, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Mm. It was, a lot of it was made here in West Cork and it was based on the history of the period that we're dealing with. Um, and uh, so, the, so people have a huge interest in all of this history and we have a unique window now over a couple of years um, with all the 100 anniversaries coming up and if we don't do something like this now well then uh, after 2022 the opportunity will be we lost yeah you're, uh, you're so right so we have, a, we have a short window now to get this up and running and, and our plans then for the autumn is that we'll get together we'll revisit what we've done and then uh, we would hope the technology actually will help us to open up the, the Cork Rebel Way um, we're hoping to, to build a nap um, and set up a, a, like a, a podcast trail that if somebody goes over to, um, again, Cross Barry or whatever, that they can put on a, cross, a, a podcast for what happened there and maybe listen for 10 minutes to somebody explaining what went on. And then they could move on to Kilmichael, the same thing. And um, we could do that for, for all of the Cork River How area. clever. How clever. And you're so right to use technology. I mean, even with the GPS coordinates now, it's so easy, isn't it, to send somebody somewhere without them getting lost? Well, that is the thing. You have the GPS coordinates. And then you have also the postcode as well, the, 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 um, the air code. Yeah, and that'll get uh, if that's set up properly, it'll get people right to the locations, and there'll be no such thing. I think the, the hopefully the the time for signposting is is, is kind of nearly behind us at this stage. That modern technology should be able to get people to most of these places. It'll stop people robbing the unique um, road road signs. The Bill and the Blow ones are always being robbed. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and will the Cork Rebel Way, do you also plan to highlight sites of historical interest prior to 1916? Well, I suppose we're unique in, in, in West and Mid-Cork in that as well as the, all the sites connected with the War of Independence and Civil War 1916 and all these amazing characters, um, we also have, we say Kinsale, the Battle of Kinsale happened there in 1601. And you could say that that was sort of centuries before, but it would eventually lead up to the revolutionary period. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had the famine in the middle of the 1800s, and that was a huge contributory factor as well. And, of course, Skibbereen and all that area, huge connections there with the famine, and you have the great um, visitor centre over there in Abbey Story Cemetery with the mass graves and so on. And then you have, you have um, the French tried to land in Bantry Bay in 1796, and uh, a great connection there. And then the land war with all the evictions and there was a lot of bad feeling created in the 1880s which would eventually spill over, you know, contributing to the War of Independence and that as well. So, so not alone have we the actual sites with, connected with Michael Collins, Tom Barry, Sam McGuire and all these people, but uh, you have the, 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 the history 
that led up to that period of history as well. So I, I don't think there's very few places, places in the country, I think, that would, would have what we have here in West Cork and, and Mid Cork. But we need to promote it and need to package it and make it easy for people to find the places. And only yesterday we had the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings and how they were commemorated with, you know, such great uh, respect. We need to do the same. I mean, we owe a debt of gratitude to the men and women who fought and died for her, for our freedom. So that's why, you know, something, an initiative like this, it's so important. You know, we need to pass this information on to the next generation. Yeah, as you, as you say, the, the, the democracy and the democratic rights that we enjoy today and the choices that we enjoy, we can thank our, our, our grandparents' generation for that. And I mean, if we were back 100 years ago now, in, in 1919, we wouldn't have realised at that stage what we were facing mm-hmm. over the following couple of years in West Cork with um, some of our neighbours and friends being killed, some of, some of our neighbours' houses, maybe our own houses being burned. Um, black and tans coming in, raiding in the middle of the night, trying out the furniture, beating people up, all the roads being dug up and not being able to go from A to B. And, uh, you know, that's what that generation went through, so that we have the rights and, and the choices that we have today. OK, and the one thing I really love about this Cork Rebel Way people are going to be driving routes. It's going to encourage tourists to visit smaller towns and villages that are off the usual tourist route. Well, we hear a lot about um, rural development, uh, and uh, this, I think, would, is, a, is, a, is an example of, of rural communities, small towns, villages, and people living in the countryside coming together to set up a project to, to promote their, their, their own history. And as you say, if we can get the visitors into the, the villages like Drina, Kilbritton, and all these places, and they might stop in the pub and have an, uh, a pint yeah. or buy an ice cream or buy a drop of petrol or whatever, it, 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 it's a win-win Absolutely. situation with the whole thing, really. Absolutely. So how are you doing in the Michael Collins Centre? You, I mean, are there many tourists around? Well, we've a tour? had a very, very busy, um, I suppose, six weeks down there with course groups, but we're opening full-time um, next Monday week, okay. uh, the 17th of June until the middle of September. So um, we have a few new items brought on board for this year. We've actually recreated a, um, an execution yard outside and we're going to start interpreting the history of um, the fighting squad executions, not alone in 1916, but also the Civil War, of course. And um, a lot of people don't realise there was 26 uh, Irishmen shot by the British during World War One for cowardice as well. A lot of them, poor devils, probably were suffering from shell shock and all of that. God help them. So, so that... that uh, the firing squad executions had a huge impact in the history of the period that we deal with here. And um, so that's something new. So we're, we're always adding new bits and pieces. Well done. Well done. OK, and the magazine for the Cork Rebel Way, you reckon, will be out July? We're, we're, our target date is the 1st of July. And okay. it will be the Cork Rebel Way um, magazine. And uh, you'll recognise that we have a new logo, um, red and white logo, and uh, on the front cover will be pictures of Michael Collins, Tom Barry, the Hales, Sam McGuire. If you see that, uh, you know that's the magazine. And where will it be available from? Well, everywhere we can put it. Tourist right. offices, libraries, hotels, foyers. Great. Uh, every, every public uh, place that we can put the magazine. I should have mentioned it earlier on. How has it been funded? It's being funded by um, people taking out advertisements. All right. Yeah, it's um, yeah. 10,000 of them being printed and... Um, the, the cost of the printing is being covered. Uh, we'll have 48 pages and there'll be 10 pages of advertising in the 48 and the rest of it then will be historical articles and uh, photographs and all of that. Well, it's a completely local initiative. It you've... is. And what I, what I love about it, it's the bottom-up approach yeah. and, and the old cooperative idea and the metal and all of that. Uh, 
I mean, uh, there's a lot of power, really, if people can work together like that because all the different areas have their own websites and um, so on and and, uh, Facebook pages. And if everyone kind of starts promoting this trail, everybody will help each yeah. other as well you know yeah, so. uh, well, you, you, well you might have a group of tourists with you today you can pass them on to somebody else this afternoon who will pass them on to somebody else uh, the next day and on and on it goes well done well done we'll keep a very close eye on this it's a terrific initiative we wish you good luck uh, and everybody involved uh, Tim and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning thanks a minute good morning to you and that is uh, Tim Crowley who uh, runs the Michael Collins Centre just outside Clonakilty, the Cork Rebel Way the road to Irish freedom. You're listening. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. To Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now we've gone, we checked in with Angarda Siakona to get an answer for our listener who contacted us before 12 in a bit of a pickle and a bit of a dilemma, got a parking ticket from the traffic core for Friday the 13th of May at 19.50. Listener fesses up and says, look, I was parked in an overflow taxi rank. Won't be doing that again. So accepted the parking ticket. Then lo and behold, last, the following Thursday, a what she thought was a reminder came in the post but it was another parking ticket for the very same night but only was four minutes later the second one is timed at 19.54 I'm wondering did they have to pay uh, both parking tickets we got on to regard the Shia corner and once it is for the same offence you should be okay what you need to do you need to email there should be an email or a postal address on the letter scan the letter email both back saying that you got two offence letters for the same incident. The Garda also said if you've already paid for one, including receipt, now I don't think it's been paid for yet, but if you can do that in the meantime, pay for one and then just include the receipt. And if you want further details, you can call into the Garda station and they'll confirm it uh, for you. The only thing is, could the person have, this is what our, our 
Garda Sauce says Could the person between 1950 and 1954 have moved have moved the car and then gone back into the same space? If so, it would be two offences but that would be highly unlikely. Absolutely. It's the four minutes that that didn't happen and uh, it was just it was for the same offence. So check the letter look for an email or a postal address scan both send it back explain what's after happening pay for one pay for the first one I suppose and include the receipt and you should be okay after that and would you ever mind keeping us in the loop and let us know how you get on I'll be intrigued to find out what happens and does it all get sorted and it should do it should be as as simple as that am I the only one or is anybody else taken aback by this horse meat story that's coming out of Ireland at the moment and the fact that the Gardaí are investigating this if horse meat which is unfit for human consumption if it was processed here before being exported to the continental market and it's seemingly it's been done in a very organised and in a very sophisticated way what really got to me was who the hell is eating horse meat and seemingly horse meat is consumed in other European countries and I was unaware of that I have to say is anybody aware of been in a country have you been offered horse meat did you eat horse meat somebody in this building says just like eating beef it's the very same thing I just didn't think about it it seems detectives from several National Garda units carried out searches it was part of a major probe into this horse meat fraud yesterday morning seven premises were searched across five different counties it's an investigation by the way that's been going on for the last two years farms were raided yesterday private homes commercial premises all searched as part of the operation. Now it's relating to the possible possibility that horses that were slaughtered here and should have been destroyed may have ended up then being processed for export and then used for human consumption. It's not believed though at this stage that the unfit horse meat has been sold in the Irish market um, but it's feared that it's been distributed onto continental Europe. I, am I right in saying we could nearly be guaranteed that it hasn't been sold on the Irish market Cause it's, because I don't know anywhere that sells horse meat on the Irish market but then again uh, people will know I'm vegetarian but I do buy a lot of meat I have a meat eating partner hubby who loves his meat so I do buy a lot of meat and I don't think I've ever been anywhere where I've seen horse meat for sale the investigation was carried out by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation it's been ongoing since 2017 the operation is not believed to be orchestrated by a criminal gang although the alleged fraud has been described as very well organised Gardaí suspect at this stage that false passports and false microchips were being supplied for horses that had been deemed unfit to be slaughtered for food. The fraudulent documents then purport to show that the animals have been certified for slaughter before they are legally entered the food chain. Guardian, now the counties that were searched, the seven sites, they were in Roscommon, Leitrim, Sligo, Westmeath and Kilkenny. So thankfully no one down here at this stage is suspected of being involved. And I know the Department of Agriculture and Food Safety Authority of Ireland, they were all involved. No arrests were made yesterday as they say the investigation at this stage is to do with evidence gathering according to the Department of Agriculture it said all slaughterhouses where meat is destined for human consumption must meet the detailed requirements set out in the EU food safety regulations it also said no horses can be slaughtered unless there is a record of it on the department's equine database and all horses at slaughter plants undergo anti-mortem examination. 
as opposed to post-mortem examination to ensure that they are fit for slaughter. So how was this how are they managing to get through all of that? It follows on. There was a major crackdown, by the way. This isn't the first time illegal horse meat has come up in the EU. There was a major in crackdown on it by Europol back in 2017. And I'm wondering, if it was, was it at that st- stage that alarm bells started to ring in Ireland? Because that, that can't be a coincidence that Europol were doing their big investigation in 2017. And 2017 is the year that the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation started an investigation into this country. It seems the Spanish police, in coordination with Europol, dismantled a very organised crime group that were trading horse meat in Europe. And it was horse meat back in 2017 that was unfit for human consumption at the time in Spain. 65 people were arrested and charged with crimes such as animal, animal abuse and document forgery, unfortunately the course of justice, but also and money laundering, and uh, but ending up with horse meat unfit for human consumption, ending up in the food chain. As I say, I'm quite taken aback by the story because I was unaware that anybody yet, uh, what are beautiful, majestic animals, I was completely shocked uh, by it. Have you ever eaten horse meat? Eddie in Oven says, Patricia, horse meat is big in France, is it? Yeah. And is it is it sold as I mean when you go in to buy a steak, do you know it's a horse horse steak that you're buying as opposed to a piece of sirloin steak? John Fimber says, Patricia, I've had horse meat. Oh, well done. I've uh, not well done, but you know what I mean. I've had horse meat in Sardinia one time. We didn't notice any difference from beef. So that's what I'm wondering. When you're buying it, are you assuming that it's beef? And then it's only when you're told it's actually horse meat and if there's no difference in the taste, you're hardly going to know and you're hardly going to ask. Would you ask that question? Is this horse meat that I'm actually eating? I remember back in my meat eating days being, I went on one of those day trips, you know, where you go to Lapland in search of Santa Claus and I went to do a media report on children from Temple Street and Crumlin Street Children's Hospital and underprivileged kids went on this wonderful day out and it was just a magical, magical day. And we arrived in the, in Lapland and you, we were taken straight in for lunch and we got this gorgeous, really tender meat that I assumed was beef with this gorgeous mashed potato and it was just melt in your mouth. And I happened to say at the end, God, that gorgeous meat, really tender meat. And, um, I mentioned something about beef and one of the organisers said, you're in the Arctic Circle. Have you seen many cows around when you were coming here? And I said, and they said, well, what animals did you see? And I said, there's a lot of reindeers. And I said, oh, please don't tell me I've just eaten Rudolph's brother. And so it was reindeer I had. But of course, obviously, it was, you know, it's where you are. I wasn't, I assumed wrongly that it was beef, but it was gorgeous at the time. So I, do I take it that the same thing happens when you're in countries where they do have horse meat that it isn't identified on the menu as Horse meat, or maybe it is. 1850-333-103. We'll keep an eye on this story, but it's shocking to think that there is a very organised, very sophisticated and well-organised criminal gang involved uh, in that, in this country, in the trading of horse meat that is not fit for human consumption. It's the one thing I would worry would be our agri-food sector. We, there's a lot of money 
comes into this country through exports of our agri-meat sector. We've spoken a lot about it with regards to Brexit. They reckon more than 12 billion euro is what our agri-food sector is worth on our exports. And the danger is that something like this could have potential damage to the industry. And that's something that I think would, would cause a great deal of worry within the Department of Agriculture and, and I'm sure our own Minister Michael Creed wouldn't be happy to hear of any kind of a story like this because once a story like that gets out people just hear of meat coming from a certain country that's not fit for human consumption and you would just be afraid that all of our agri-food sector would get tarred with the one brush. The sooner we get to the bottom of that story, the better. Tom Paul taking your calls, 1850 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And we kick off with Bingo. It's on uh, every Friday night, including tonight, Kildare Parish Hall at half past eight. The annual Mass in St. Columba's Cemetery in Wing takes place tonight at eight. While Ballon Hassock Community Development, they've got a fundraising social dance in the Marion Hall in Ballon Hassock tonight. Music by Declan Anger, and it's from 9.45. Dancing to Best of Friends, that's on tonight in Theo Park in Lava Malaga. While this weekend there will be a church gate collection in aid of suicide awareness. That's in Canturk and in Kilbrin. Your support will be gratefully appreciated. A coffee morning in aid of Serve India uh, is being held in, oh, we have this Sunday in Kilavallen. It starts at 12 noon. Lots of fun with a raffle and an auction with a slight twist that's in the Haven Bar in Kilavallen on Sunday. In Clyde Rovers, Lotto Draw takes place. Derry Murphy's Bar in Ballinamona and the jackpot tonight is 8,000. 750. Rehab Care in Bantry. They've got a table quiz fundraiser tomorrow night, Saturday at 8. It's in the Boston Bar in Bantry. There'll also be a DJ and a raffle tomorrow night. The GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards on C103 with the Rochestown Park Hotel. When the draw was made, we, we, we knew we were going to be up against a, a tough club. You know, I suppose, you know, on any given day, you can kind of take anyone out. Hopefully, keep going that one as well. The latest award winner is for Moy dual player Brian O'Sullivan for his contribution to the club's Cork County Championship victories. The C103 GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards. Recognising outstanding achievement in the field of Cork GAA. This one's for you. C103. I have a little bit of breaking news for you from County Hall. We have a new county mayor for the next year taking over from Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy and the media got it wrong. The new county mayor is going to be Fianna Fáil's Fianna Fáil Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan. There had been much speculation that it was going to be Frank O'Flynn but uh, we've just had confirmation that it is Christopher O'Sullivan is going to be the new county mayor for the next 12 months because we know there is a pact between Fianna Fáil the independents and I think Labour but I'm up to question I think there's only one Labour councillor that got voted into Cork County Council but anyway it certainly is a pact between Fianna Fáil and the independents so they will rotate we will have five 
county mayors in total between now and when we have another local election. So do I take it three? There will be three Fianna Fáil mayors and two independents uh, perhaps. Anyway, but congratulations to Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan. I don't know how the media got it so wrong because normally they're always spot on when they speculate as to who's going to get it. You know, normally we know in advance who's going to get it. Everybody was saying that it was going to be Councillor uh, Franco Flynn. So I don't know what's happened there unless because he... He, myself and John Paul were going down through the list wondering who would get it over the next five years and we were saying poll toppers generally speaking do well when it comes to being selected for the county mayors or people that are there a long time maybe uh, I don't know quite within the parties how they decide as obviously the Fianna Fáil members together will decide who's going to be put forward who they want uh, to be put forward as the county mayor but congratulations to Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan and we'll see we won't get to chat to him today I know John Paul is probably working on it already see if we can get him on the programme on Monday have a quick chat uh, with him about his uh, year ahead Dennis in Castle Magna was on we spoke and I read out a really really great email yesterday that came in from two home helps in the North Cork area just putting across their side of the story to what's going on at the moment with so much publicity about home helps and the HSE saying that they're going to be limiting the amount of new home help hours that are given out between now and November and one of the reasons they cited was that the existing home helps have to be paid for travelling between clients they hadn't been paid to date and we had a really really good email outlining what is going on from a home helps point of view and one of the points that was made in the letter was that we we often hear would hear when home helps don't do their jobs right and there will be negativity about home helps and they both the home help said wouldn't it be nice if people are happy with their home helps if they would verbalise that and actually get on to you and mention and I did say we have ha- heard from people in the past and lo and behold Dennis in Castle Magna has taken time out to contact us this morning to say he has a home help she's absolutely brilliant uh, Dennis said they do a very difficult job he gets three and a half hours per week which works out at a half an hour a day so every day for one half an hour for 30 minutes of home help arrives to our dentist in Castle Magna and uh, he says they, they do he, so he obviously has more than one because one person can't do seven days uh, a week but he cites one in one saying absolutely brilliant and he's very thankful for the home help uh, service so thank you for that Dennis and thank you for taking the time out to contact us and to take the time to make that call and Joan has taken time out to text us now I'm not going to name the shop because that's a bit unfair but just to say a shop in a North Cork town because it's a kind of a general thing to. I just want to see how other people feel about this she's noticed and I don't know if it's just happened today or across this week that there is a shop in the town where there are clothes models in the front window you know the mannequins we see them in most most shop windows but they're naked there's nothing on them and she thinks it gives it doesn't look well for the town to be walking past and to see models in the windows of a shop with nothing on and she said it would be nice if they covered them up even if they just maybe threw a sheet over them you know I don't know why they're being left naked because normally when it's stripped it's to redo the window and normally the new clothes would be replaced straight away so I don't know why it's actually this is actually happening but anyway Joan just feels that it gives a bad image to the town but it gives the opportunity to say would if you're walking past a shop with naked models in the window do you take offence would you agree with Joan that it doesn't look good for the town 
and that gives a bad image? And should there be some kind of rules and regulations governing naked models, mannequins, not real models, in the window of a shop? So let's give it out and see what others uh, think about naked models. 1850 333 103. Hi Patricia Suzanne by WhatsApp. I ate horse meat in Canada years ago. It was lovely. But when I found out I didn't like the idea of eating horse meat as it felt like I was eating my dog. But horse meat is the purest meat you can eat as they only eat hay, oats and berries and they've not been injected with chemicals all the time like cows and sheep have, Cezanne. And the injection of antibiotics and stuff. So she, so she, but she says, just in her head. You see, that's what got to me when I read the story. I was going, who's eating horse meat? The very same way. It's, it's a mental thing, isn't it? It's just something in your mind. But Anne says it was lovely, but then she couldn't go back in again and say, can I have a horse steak? The fact that she knew that it was horse meat. Because somebody else is making the programme as well. And the uh, Dennis says horse meat by, is by far healthier than any other meats. At the very same point, free from antibiotics and other uh, injections. So it is uh, par- probably one of the best meats that you could actually eat. And there was, who else was on about this? Barry says, when, you're, when you buy horse meat, obviously in other countries, it won't be labelled as horse meat. It'll be labelled as something else. And Barry reckons it possibly is on sale here. And while we think it's a typical steak, it could be horse meat. But but we're told that it's not sold in this country. So if it is sold in this country, are you saying it's sold illegally in this country? And Marie, who obviously is a regular traveller to France, says horse meat is very clearly labelled in France. So make no mistake about it. If you're in France and you have horse meat, it will be very clearly labelled. OK, and just on getting your information, the piece we did earlier with Dr Nick Flynn about getting your information online and how dangerous that can be. And when I mentioned about vaccinations, and we have had a number of parents have not vaccinated their children because they've gone online to some sites that are just clearly giving wrong and misleading information. Jerry says, Patricia, you were right. And then not enough information is provided by the so-called medical experts when it comes to vaccinations. Government indemnifying large companies is a suspicious act and parents immediately feel they are then on their own if something does go wrong. It makes the decision to vaccinate their child a lot harder if they fear that something can go wrong. But what about the point, Jerry, that I made? You know, in other countries, Australia is one certainly that I know about, if you do not vaccinate your child, your child will not be allowed into pre-kindy, as they call it, the pre-kindergarten and then kindergarten and then school. You must have your child vaccinated. And because of that, they have nearly eliminated all of those childhood illnesses. And could we end up looking at something like that happening in this uh, in this country? Uh, only time uh, will tell. Um, also in on the misinformation online. Maura in Mill Street says, I think too many people are looking at the likes of Facebook and they believe everything they see is worrying, particularly when it comes to health, as anybody can write. And there are no laws governing a lot of those uh, sites. So I thought it was good of Dr Nick giving recognised sites. If you must go online, well, it's something we all do, but be just careful of the sites that you're actually using. And Nettie Maddow said she has a friend who constantly goes online and Googles things. And then she becomes the expert. So if any of her friends have anything wrong with them, 
the friend is in Dr Google oh I read this online I saw it on Facebook and uh, she and it said that she's been in her company where she worries some of their friends with some of the information that she is uh, giving she said if you listened to her you would swear that she was a doctor she's not a qualified doctor if you try to argue a point with her she will argue back just because she's seen it online the really worrying things as Annette is this isn't a stupid person she's a very well educated person but she believes every single thing she reads online you need to be very very uh, careful and Anne says to Joan on the naked mannequin that lady Joan on the naked mannequin would you tell her please to just get a life (laughs) alright that is from uh, Joan and on standing and sitting in the wrong place at mass John says in relation to your conversation about mass I attended I've often attended mass in America in Canada and in France they all sit, stand and kneel at different times to us here in Cork. So it differs from country to country uh, as well. 1850 Let's park your comments there because we need to take a break. And we are back going to the movies with Mark Malone. Sunday mornings, C103 brings you interviews with actors and theatre directors, concert news and show reviews, live studio performances and festival roundups, exhibition info and the very latest film news. The Arts House, Sunday mornings, 8 till 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. The great taste of home. On C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Connect with C103 on Twitter now. Search for our Twitter handle at C103Cork. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us in studio. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Now, you went down to the movies to see The Hustle and then on DVD, Welcome to Mar- Marwin. 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 Yeah. Okay, let's start with a trailer, though, from The Hustle. Penny. Why are women better suited to the calm than men? Because we're used to faking it. Men always underestimate it, and that is what we use. Is it valuable? $500,000. I like it because it's shiny. I could be the partner you never knew you needed. Teach me your sugar baby ways. Release the peasants! She must mean pheasants, yeah? Oh, right. It was a terrible shot. That was unexpected. Now, we've got um, who I absolutely adore, Rebel Wilson, um, with Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. And we've got a comedy going down here. Uh, we do, yeah. And it's funny, uh, you know, you just said something very interesting that you said it's got Rebel uh, Wilson, who yeah. you like. Yeah. If you don't like Rebel Wilson, you're in trouble, I think. Oh, And okay. I know a number of people kind of are beginning to kind of tire of her shtick ever so slightly. If you read a lot of the reviews, are, you know, her most recent films, you know. Because she's the same in every movie. And she's pretty much doing Rebel Wilson in this again. But I yeah. like it as well. Yeah, you see? I find it funny. I think she's really funny. I think yeah. she's really clever and uh, she's produced this so oh. she's, yeah, which is great and uh, she has a film on Netflix at the moment called Isn't It Romantic which she also produced and stars in and that got better reviews uh, to this. This did not get very good reviews at all. In fact, it's got uh, I think it's got a 15% score on Rotten Tomatoes which is very, very low. I mean, yeah. people have been very, very negative about this and uh, what's interesting is that it's a remake. It's a remake of uh, an 80s film called Dirty Rotten Scandals which you might remember. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, um, even talking about the them doing a hustle. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah. This is uh, we've seen this before. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that one starred uh, Michael Caine and Steve Martin. And I remember watching it back in the 80s mm. and I remember enjoying it. But again, the 
I think the um, the reviews to the film, that particular film, uh, were very, very negative. And it's, I think people now, when they look at a film like this, and I've read so many reviews where people go, oh, do you remember how good Dirty Rotten Scoundrels were? But, of course, it wasn't well received at all. So people looking back with rose-colored glass glasses, yeah. I presume. Uh, mind you, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was in itself a remake of a film from the 60s, uh, which was called Bedtime Story, which had Marlon Brando and David Niven. <laughs> and I've never seen it. <laughs> I have no idea why. What an unusual combination. Yeah, and uh, I presume it's because it's terrible as well but I must try and seek it out because yeah. you know it's got Brando and Niven in it you can think you know this must be pretty good so unfortunately we have three versions of this film which are all very very ad- average films and I think that's a, that's a bit of a shame uh, because obviously somebody thinks you know there's a story here it's a really good story but unfortunately what they produce in the end is kind of uh, a little bit disappointing uh, similar to Ro- Dirty Rotten Scandals we're talking about two con artists here uh, Rebel Wilson uh, plays uh, a character called Penny Rust which is probably the funniest thing the whole film and uh, she is very much kind of a low rent kind of con artist she just basically cons men you know to to eat you know to to, to get them to pay for dinners and, oh, right. and, and yeah. drinks and stuff and then she realizes that by uh, promising things yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and she, she then realizes that she's coming to the attention of the authorities in America so she, she decides I'll go to the south of France because that's where all the rich men are these stupid rich men and I'll go and take their money so she goes to um, the south of France even though the film is filmed in Mallorca and uh, uh, there she meets Anne Hathaway, who is complete opposite when it comes to con artists. I mean, she is very high rent as opposed to, uh, you know. Um, but she is also a con artist. She's also a very, very con artist, but she's a very good one. She, she, right. she works at a kind of a much different, higher level. And there's a conversation at one stage, for example, where um, Anne Hathaway says to Rebel Wilson, how much are you worth? And Rebel Wilson says about $500,000, which is actually pretty good. Mm. Uh, but uh, Anne Hathaway says, well, I'm worth $28 million. And so therefore, uh, Rebel Wilson, Re- Wilson says, says, well, okay, teach me, teach me what you know. And initially, Anne Hathaway is kind of negative about it and says and doesn't want to and tries to kind of rid her of uh, Rebel Wilson. But Rebel Wilson hangs around, uh, and uh, and so they end up, and she has no other choice but to, to to bring her into her world. And so therefore, they set up these rather large and very complicated cons to try and rid these very rich men, mostly American for some reason, yeah. in the uh, south of France uh, of their money. So she's teaching her how to hustle. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and that's what she does. And. Um, it starts off really well. I mean, you know, the and, and it was the same. The idea with, is good. Well, it was the same with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It started well, but as time went on, unfortunately, the film kind of got flatter and flatter and flatter, and that's a pretty that's a that's a shame. And it basically just relied on Rebel Wilson just doing her shtick, and unfortunately, you know, having her fall over. There's a scene, for example, a rather long long scene where she plays this blind girl, and so therefore, there's a lot of bumping into kind of furniture and stuff, which isn't really funny. It's a little bit offensive. There's a couple of offensive things in the film actually. There's at one stage she's in. A, the toilet of uh, of an aeroplane and she basically pesters this middle-aged man into having sex with her. Whereas uh, if the sexes were kind of reversed, it would be considered to be rather unacceptable. And there are moments of that. And in fact, I know she fought for uh, it to have a, a PG rating in the United States, for example. And she said, look, it's no more ruder than most comedies involving men. So why doesn't it have a PG rating? So they gave it a PG rating. Now here it's 15s. Yeah. Uh, I don't I think it necessarily has to be. I don't think there's, there's too there's much in the much way. In it, yeah. yeah, but... Uh, 
Um, it does rely on Rebel Wilson kind of just basically falling over a lot. And I think it's a bit of a shame. And it's directed by Chris Anderson, who's a, an English stand-up comedian who you would have seen in Mock the Week. Very clever man and very, very funny. But he obviously can't direct a, a movie because if you're just relying <laughs> on, you know, Rebel Wilson falling over all the time, then that's a shame because she has this wonderful personality and she's very smart and she's very clever and can be really, really funny. But unfortunately, the film, as it just proceeds, gets flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter all the time. So you just end up not laughing at all. I did smile, though, on a number of occasions. And I have to say, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. I think that certainly when I went to the cinema, the women in the, the, the audience laughed way more than I did. Okay. I think they managed to, because they, I think, were identifying with the characters maybe more than I was. I was. But I don't think it's as bad as people will say it is. It's not great, yes. But there are some lovely entertaining moments. And mostly it's uh, Rebel Wilson who provides those. Yeah, I read, I'm just looking at an online review. Somebody said it lacked oomph. The acting wasn't the issue, it was rather the script they had to work with. Well, they worked very hard, the two of them. You know, yeah. unfortunately, Hathaway's accent, you know, she she does the English accent that all Dad Americans can what? do. Yeah. yeah, where she's yeah. basically doing Julie Andrews because she was That's brought up. It. So That's she it. talks like this to yeah. the hoover. And every yeah. time she opens your mouth, you go, why didn't you just play it as an American? Yeah, because even, even when I heard it, just yeah. the little clip we played, I was thinking, oh, that accent is going to would annoy me for And it day. did, and it annoyed yeah. me as well. And she doesn't need to do that. I don't think so. I mean, no. Why can't she be American? I know that uh, in the previous films we David Niven, Michael Caine. Yes, I know they were English characters, but it doesn't necessarily have to be English. Yeah. It could be anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, but the, 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 the accent was very annoying. It's not as bad as people uh, think it is. If you like Rebel Wilson, I think you'll enjoy it. OK, so mark it out of 10? I'll give it six. Six, OK. And slightly higher if you're a Rebel Wilson <laughs> fan. Now, you've got on DVD, you also uh, had out a... Uh, also a comedy. This is Welcome to Marwin. It's not really a comedy. It's got kind of comic elements in it, but it's... it's comedy really, drama. It's really, a, it's really a drama more than anything else. And okay. um, it's based on a true story of uh, oh. a man by the name of Mark Hogenkamp. Uh, who is this photographer? Now, back in 2009, I think, uh, he, um, he he lives in this kind of small town America and uh, he met these men in his local pub as he was sitting, uh, having a chat with them one day and he said that uh, he does have this preference for wearing women's uh, shoes and so the men kind of took issue at that. So when they left the pub and left the bar, uh, the men basically beat him almost to death oh. and because of that, uh, he had terrible physical injuries, terrible mental injury, in, injuries as well. Well, so physically, he was able to kind of get back to almost 100 percent, but mentally not in any way, shape or form. And basically, he was suffering from PTSD and so yeah. had constant kind of flashbacks. And so the way in which he was, he then became a loner, didn't really kind of communicate with two people too often and too much. And so basically what he began to do was he began to kind of um, take photographs of these dolls and these dolls represented him and his life. But um, the doll in question for him was like an action man doll. And okay. so therefore he would take these photographs and these kind of very detailed kind of uh, situations and um, in this these photographs, the women of his life, uh, the, the women who helped him get his body back into to shape again, the local waitress, uh, the woman across the road with whom uh, he has fallen in, in love, all play a part in these photographs as these dolls. And then there are uh, the Nazis and, uh, who are portrayed in the film. They are represent uh, they represent the men who beat him up. And so therefore, it's his way of kind of trying to kind of purge the kind of nightmare of that night by, by portraying his life in a kind of more positive way as him as a more kind of heroic character. 
character mm. in this film. So this is directed by Robert Zemeckis, who did uh, Back to the Future. And what Robert Zemeckis has done is he has decided to kind of motion capture uh, the actors and actually animate those scenes into little kind of vignettes in, in the film. And they're beautifully, beautifully done. And of course, with motion capture, with, uh, Steve Carell, who plays uh, the Mark Hogenkamp uh, character in this, uh, is motion captured so that he actually looks like uh, you know, a Ken doll. He actually looks like Action Man and it's really, really well done and it's beautifully done. And it's a tribute to Mark Hogenkamp, I think, because I think what Robert Zemeckis has done here, he has taken still photographs and has brought them alive in a beautiful, beautiful kind of way. And it is, a, it's, I think he has produced a lovely tribute to the man. And if you go online and look up uh, Mark Hogenkamp... I was just going to say, is he still alive? And yeah, do, is, do yeah. try and do that. before. Actually, do it before you, you actually watch the film yeah. because then you'll get a better sense of, of these beautiful Who is photographs. this man and yeah. What, what, yeah. And because of uh, and there was a wonderful documentary about him uh, some years ago and they in the because of the documentary his kind of fame now has uh, has um, gotten larger and because of that now a lot of people consider him to be a great artist. Great. And, uh, and a lot of his photographs are now used uh, quite often uh, in and, but sometimes they're taken out of context that there are photographs that are used that are so lifelike that people actually think that they're real but they're not and which kind of disappoints him uh, somewhat. The disappointing thing for me for this film is that uh, it had a budget of about 50 million and uh, it, ha- it opened with about 2 million and unfortunately it's one of the biggest box office failures of t- 2018 which is a terrible shame and I Whoa. don't know, I have no idea why because they're all, everything is here for this to be a big hit. It's yeah. beautifully made. It's a lovely tribute to this man. The performances of Steve Carell uh, Leslie Mann uh, are terrific and it's it's got a it's just, it's, it's one of the most sweetest, most beautiful films that I have seen in a very, very and long time. Get bad reviews. It got yes, and people just said, "Look, it 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 didn't set out to achieve what it wanted to do." For me, it did, and uh, maybe people just thought that um, Robinson Mack has kind of trivialized the story by animating these photographs. But I don't think yeah. so. For as I say, I think they actually brought them to life, and I think I thought it was I thought it was beautiful, and I love just every single moment of it. Wow, and yeah. it's it's out on DVD now, yeah. so it's it's well worth. Um, hiring our streaming so welcome to Marwin Market at 10 well, I, I couldn't find anything that was you know annoyed me or was wrong with the film so I can't give it anything but a 10 another 10 well done well done okay keep a look out for that that's uh, well worth watching um, and as you say take a look at the guy first Mark Hogan look, camp, at, yeah. Mark Hogan look camp. at his photographs look at his photographs yeah. okay listen thank you for that uh, Mark have a, a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Friday that's uh, Mark Malone art movie reviewer Nick Richards is up next after this programme turning up the feel good factor with some of these tunes. Wow, they're the songs that are going to all get us into a mood for the weekend. Feel Good Friday, up next with Nick and uh, continues with Martina at uh, four o'clock before I go. And uh, this is on Home Help. Said um, I was a Home Help for 15 years and one morning I found the woman I was minding on the floor. I tried lifting her, but unfortunately I did ha- harm to my back. To this day, I have trouble with my back because of my work as a home help. I only yesterday got an injection for the pain. Home helps are not appreciated. 
appreciate it for what they do and that's from Anne thank you for that uh, Anne and before I go a quick reminder there's a coffee morning and bake sale going on in Toker National School in Dunmanway it's tomorrow morning from 11am to 2 and they are looking for donations of home baking they would be particularly welcome if you can help them out your support would be gratefully appreciated because all of the proceeds are going to the wonderful Marymount uh, Hospice and there is also a fundraising day for the oncology department at Cork's Mercy Hospital that will be held tomorrow at the home of Mary O'Sullivan in Rylan Mary's inviting you to join her for tea, coffee and cakes is the way of saying thank you for the treatment her 16-year-old son Reese received while in St. Teresa's Ward at the Oncology Department at the Mercy Hospital and that's happening tomorrow. The best of luck uh, to uh, Teresa and to all of the family. Uh, sorry to Mary and all of the family. We hope that you have a, a great day out there. Okay, that's where I wrap it up for today. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Back with you Monday at 10. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.